The sermon this morning, again, is based on the first lesson in Genesis chapter 3. I invite you to open up your bulletins as we think about this lie. It's not my fault to, to page 4 there. We'll be looking at these verses in, in much greater detail throughout the, the course of the sermon. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. One of the many hats that a Lutheran pastor wears is one of, of a marriage counselor. And throughout my years of ministry here in South Dakota and also in New York, I've had more opportunities than I've wanted to to sit with couples who are struggling in their marriage. And one counseling session really stands out in my mind from over over these years. It was with a young married couple. We were sitting around a table, and I was trying to get at, well, what, is, what are the roots of their relationship struggles? And the wife began, but not with words. She began to explain their marriage problems in a very metaphoric way. She simply sat there, and she took the nearest styrofoam cup, and she began to tear it, in a tiny little pieces. Didn't say a word. And she threw those tiny little pieces into a nearby glass cup. She spent about five minutes doing that. And when that glass cup was full of the tiny little pieces from the styrofoam cup, she spoke. And she said, Pastor, my husband has done so many little tiny things that my cup is full. I'm done. I can't do it anymore. The husband, of course, at that point in time, thought it was a good idea for him to interrupt her. And she said, see, Pastor, she doesn't want to learn. She doesn't want to change at all. And I sat there thinking, there's very little that I can do for this married couple. And the reason why is because they thought they were both victims. They both thought that they were perfect. So apparently, two perfect people were living in a marriage that was barely even surviving anymore. This couple was under the delusion of a very powerful and satanic lie. And it's a lie that we often all believe. It's not my Now, we can broaden our search for the power of this lie, this lie from not just struggling married couples pointing the finger. We can broaden it and see, if we ask ourselves some important questions, we will see that this lie impacts us in just about every area of our lives. So let me ask you some diagnostic questions so that you can discover and expose the power of this life, this lie in your life. Here's the first question that you can ask yourself. How much do you rely on grace and mercy? Do you come into church thinking, Lord, if you weren't graceful, full of grace and mercy, I would be lost right now. I have nothing good to offer you. Or do you come into church wondering, you know what? I'm not sure how many sins I have to confess to holy God, 
Nothing is really pressing on my heart. Maybe I'm not even a sinner at all. Because if you do not feel that you need grace and mercy, then you are believing a lie. You're pushing off the problems in this world and your life on everybody else, saying it's not my fault. Here's another question that you can ask yourself. How often are you angry and frustrated? Now, now maybe most of you don't explode into some angry episode, but maybe you feel it on the inside, passively, passive-aggressively, you feel frustration. But probably you don't feel frustration with yourself. You feel frustration with the people that are closest to you. Do you realize what you are doing? You are pointing the finger. You are shoving blame off onto them for whatever conflict or struggle there is. You are believing the lie. It's not my fault. Here's another question you can ask yourself. How often... Do you blame your emotional state on those around you? Do you ever find yourself saying this, what you said yesterday hurt my feelings? You're blaming your hurt feelings on someone else. How often do you find yourself saying, well, I had to yell at you because you yelled at me first? You are blaming your explosion of anger on someone else. And here's the final question that you can ask yourself to discover the power of this life, this lie in your own life. In situations of sin, in situations of struggle, do you grow? Do you change? Do you become better? Are you asking yourself the question in these situations, What am I doing wrong here? Can I be bigger in this situation? Or are you pointing the finger? Are you saying, well, if I was in charge of that project, everything would have been okay, and you see what you're doing? You are believing the lie. You are under the delusion, it is not my This lie, if we let it have power in our lives, it will destroy us, and actually very quickly. It it, it will destroy us emotionally. Because if you believe when someone insults you, if you believe when there's a line and you get angry, if you believe that it's everybody else's fault, you will spend the rest of your life as a victim. You will never take responsibilities for the feelings that you have. And you know what happens? You end up a defeated person. Because you can't take responsibility for your emotional state. Secondly, spiritually speaking, if it is not your fault, what need do you have for grace and mercy? If it is not your fault, if you are a perfect person, what need do you have for a crucified Savior? And what need do you have for a risen Savior? You don't need one. So God will not be important in your life. And thirdly, how will you ever grow? How will you ever mature? If professionally, how will you ever grow as a professional when 
You blame everyone around you for the problems in your company. How will you ever grow spiritually when you blame everybody else for your problems? And how will you ever grow emotionally? You won't. You will stunt your growth. So do you see the power and destruction of this lie emotionally, spiritually, and how it stunts your ability to grow? Adam and Eve are really the poster boy and poster girl for this lie. And I I want you to watch, as we read this lesson, watch and, and think about the emotional toll that this lie takes in their life and the spiritual toll and the fact that they blame the closest people around them for what is wrong in their life. Here's, here's what God records for us here in Genesis chapter 3. You can follow along there in your bulletin, page 4. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I command you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. We are tipped off. In these short verses, we're tipped off right away that Adam and Eve, they are acting completely irrationally. What they do does not make any sense. And we're tipped off by the fact that they try to run away from God. They try to hide. Now, can you hide from an omniscient God? Can you run away from from an omnipresent God. You cannot. And yet they try. And then they start with their second irrational thing. God, with a very fatherly disposition, He goes to Adam and He confronts him in his sin. And first of all, He denies that He sinned at all. But then when God gets it out of him, He blames it all on Eve. He says, the woman you put here with me. But do you notice he's not just blaming the woman. He's blaming God. Martin Luther, in a very excellent commentary on these verses, he says about Adam here, he's angry. He is frustrated with his wife, and he is angry with God because he's blaming them. And Eve doesn't do much better. She says, it's the serpent you put here with me. She blames, and she ends up emotionally angry and frustrated with the people around her. Now, do you see the damage that this lie is causing in Adam and Eve's life? Think about the emotional toll that it is taking. Now, before the fall, they experienced in their hearts... Only peace and joy. Look at how far they have fallen. Now they are experiencing anger and frustration and guilt. And they can only blame it on everyone around them. From what heights 
did they fall. Now, spiritually speaking, instead of walking in the garden with God, enjoying fellowship with the creator of the world, now they're running from him. They are hiding from the only savior that can win salvation for them. What a mistake. And they are right, finally, to fall into the same sin again. Because they are blaming, Adam blames Eve. Because Eve blames the serpent, they are ripe to commit the same thing over again. They're not growing. They're not maturing. They're not learning from their grave mistake. Because they are believing the lie. It's all my It's not my fault. Now, while Satan whispers this lie in Adam and Eve's ear, God does not remain silent. In fact, he intervenes. And it's in of the utmost Christian comfort for us to see how God does intervene. And it's important for us to consider and compare what God does with the serpent and what God does with Adam and Eve. Do you notice how he treats them both in significantly different ways? With the serpent, God doesn't bother to confront him. God doesn't bother to try to get him to repent. God doesn't bother to help the servant in any way. He simply announces the serpent's just condemnation. He simply says to the serpent, He will crush your head. There's no mercy or grace there. He simply says, He will crush your head. That's it for you. But with Adam and Eve, do you see how God has a very fatherly and grace-filled approach? He goes to Adam, and he seeks Adam's repentance. He seeks Adam's confession of sin. And before God even explains the full consequences of their fall into sin, before he does any of that, he makes a very important announcement. He says, I will send a deliverer. I will summon someone who will crush the head of Satan and who will expose his lies for what they are. And then he explains the consequences. You see, in the loving and grace-filled approach of the Father, who comes to him in the cool of the day, in, in the quiet wind, God is showing that he already has in view the sacrifice of Christ. See, Christ is in the details of this story. He's implicitly there, and then just a few short verses later, he's there explicitly in the announcement of God, I will deliver you. So instead of standing by and and letting the devil whisper in your ear, it's not your fault. He intervenes. And he sends the deliverer. Since the deliverer is crucified, and since the deliverer is risen, you can confess your sins. Because you know that you will be forgiven. Since the deliverer is crucified, since the deliverer is risen, you can stop blaming your emotions and everybody else and take responsibility. Because you are forgiven. 
since the deliverer is crucified and since the deliverer is risen for you, you can recognize your failures. You can confess them and then you can do better next time. You can grow. Since the deliverer is crucified, since he is risen for you, you can make the incredibly awesome statement. Incredibly healthy statement. It's my fault. But I'm forgiven for Jesus' sake. See, there's only been one truly innocent victim in the history of the world. Only one. And he could have said, he could have said, Father, I tried to tell them the truth. They wouldn't listen. Father, I love them perfectly. And here I am, crucified on a cross. I did nothing wrong. But instead he says, Father, don't blame them. Blame me. Father, do not credit their sins to them. Credit them to me. Father, don't give them blame. Give them my righteousness. See, Jesus made an incredibly awesome statement. Even though it's not my fault, it is my fault. And I pay for it. So what joy is ours and what freedom we have. Now there is only grace. There is grace to be real and confess your sins. There is the grace to understand and feel peace and joy. There is the grace to grow from your mistakes. There is the grace to believe the truth. It's my fault, but I'm forgiven. I want you to imagine with me for a second a Lutheran pastor sitting down with a struggling married couple. But this time, everything goes differently. And the wife, instead of tearing up a styrofoam cup and filling it to the brim, she says, Pastor, work is hard right now. The business is struggling. And when I get home, i got nothing left for my husband. It's my fault. And then the husband, not to be outdone, he interrupts her and says, no, 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 pastor, I have way too high of expectations for her. I expect her, who's been working all day, to come home and help me out with the dishes. It's not her fault, it's mine. And the Lutheran pastor knows that he doesn't have much counseling left to do because this married couple is going to be just fine. Because the Spirit is already working in their life. That's the power of the truth. That it is my fault, but I'm forgiven. Amen. Please stand. Let's confess our Christian faith with Christians all over the world on this Sunday with the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, 
was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.